curveball there for you at the end, just to put in an extra few words. Brilliant. Great to be with you uh, tonight. My name is Tom. I'm one of the curates uh, here at Holy Trinity, uh, if you don't know me. And um, yeah, thank you so much um, for leading us in those prayers. It's really important for us as a church to be responsive to what's going on in the world. But as Richard said, actually, it's one of the ways that we can do that is to, to focus on how God wants to use us for his glory. We're going to be doing a bit of that tonight. But before we do, I would love you just to maybe turn to your neighbor, somebody, maybe somebody you haven't spoken to yet. I want you to ask the question. If an average everyday event was like something you did, like washing the dishes or, I don't know, walking to school, if it was an Olympic event, what would you be the champion of? Okay, an average everyday event, what would you be Olympic champion of? Go, 30 seconds. Amazing, lots of good stuff. Clearly you're all experts at, I don't know, emptying the bins or whatever else. I wonder what it would be. I'd love to hear some more later. Uh, what about the real Olympics? Did you stay up watching the curling at the Winter Olympics? I found it a bit compulsive. I don't know about you, but like I, I sort of say that I'm not gonna get involved and then after five minutes, I'm like really in it and I'm like an expert in it and I'm like, yeah, they've got the hammer and they're gonna, you know, I know where they need to put their stones in order to get the number, right number of points. The GB women were amazing, weren't they? Uh, incredible gold medal, they did a brilliant job. Uh, but, you know, as I said, the reality is that probably for most of us, we would, you know, what kind of a, a Olympic event would we be qualified for? I know that for me, I'm going to show you a little video now. For me, it would probably be one of these that appear on the video. What an image. You're not going to forget that one in a hurry, are you? It's probably burn on your retina. That, <laughs> that guy running with the wheelie bins. I don't know about you, but was anybody else like genuinely impressed at that sock slide thing? Um, that was really cool. I wish I could do that. Yeah. Well, whether you are Mrs. Sockslide or maybe Mr. Wheelie Bin, I can relate to the Wheelie Bin guy. I think I'm probably like that. When it comes, the good news is when it comes to building the kingdom of God, there is nothing average about it. There is nothing average about what you, what I, what any of us bring to building the kingdom. And so far in this series, we have been thinking about, you know, the things that shape us, our strengths, our weaknesses, our passions, our desires, our experiences. And tonight is going to be a bit different from all of that because tonight we're thinking about special gifts that God gives us. So not something we're naturally good at, not something that has happened to us, special spiritual gifts that God gives us to build up his church. And to explore that idea, we're going to press in a little bit to the passage that Richard 
read earlier from the New Testament. But to do that, we're going to need just a little bit of backstory, so go with me. Uh, Just a tiny bit of backstory, right? So you probably know that we've got four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all tell the story of Jesus. So Jesus lives, he dies, he rises again. And at the end of the Gospels, he's about to, to go into heaven, and he says to his disciples that he's going to He's not going to leave them on their own. When he goes to heaven, he's not going to leave them on their own. He's going to leave them with a helper. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And then, so Jesus goes to heaven. Disciples are waiting. And we get this amazing event in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes in power on the disciples. They start speaking in these foreign languages. And people kind of start understanding them, even though they're from different parts of the world. And you probably know it is when some people think they're drunk because they think they're kind of crazy. But... It's clearly the Holy Spirit because Peter gets up, he preaches, and 3,000 people gather to listen, and 3,000 people become believers on that day. And pretty much from then on, the church kind of spreads all over the known world, so throughout sort of Greece and Turkey and all those kind of areas, the church spreads. And um, in all of the churches that, that get established, that get started up in those places, the Holy Spirit comes in power and does these similar kinds of things. He gives special gifts to the believers in each of these places. So prophecy, speaking in foreign languages, gifts of wisdom, gifts of miracles, gifts of healing. Wherever the church goes, the Holy Spirit is there and he does these amazing things. But in one of these early churches in a place called Corinth, um, there was a problem because the believers there were using their spiritual gifts as like, I don't know, it was like a competition. They were saying, well, I can predict the future, so like, I'm ahead of you. You can only speak in a foreign language. Or, you know, I can do a miracle of healing, and I'm ahead of you because, you know, you're just, well, you're a bit wise, but actually I'm more powerful. So they, they were kind of, do you see what I mean? They were using their spiritual gifts as a way of, like, competing against each other. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, who started this church, he's the guy that wrote this letter to Corinth that Richard read, he writes to them to kind of correct them, to correct their understanding of spiritual gifts. Now, I just want to say, I don't think we have that culture here of kind of toxic competitiveness in spiritual gifts, but there are still some really important things that we can learn from this scripture that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, okay? There are still um, some really important lessons that we can take out of it today. If we're really going to grasp tonight how we're made for good, then I want to suggest there are three really important things that we can understand from what Paul says about the spiritual gifts, okay? So the first thing is, everyone gets a gift. Paul says in verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. To each of us. He doesn't say to some of us or to a few of us. He says to each of us. When you put your faith in Jesus and you become a baptized believer, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. So we all get a spiritual gifts. We can't opt out of this. If we're Christians, we get spiritual gifts. We don't earn them or qualify them. Qualify for them. There's no, there's no test. That's kind of the point. They're gifts, right? A gift is something that's freely given. You know, it's like on, on your birthday. I don't know about you, but on my birthday, you know, I just get birthday gifts by virtue of the fact that I was born. It's not like I don't do anything special. Nobody comes up to me and says, congratulations, Tom, you've been a human for 41 years. Here you go, have a present. It's not how it works. And it's the same with spiritual gifts. We get them by virtue of the fact 
that we are Christians, that we believe in Jesus and that he lives in us. But hold on just a moment because I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read through that list of spiritual gifts that Richard read in the passage earlier, you know, miracles, prophecy, healing, wisdom. You know, I'm thinking, I'm not sure I tick any of those boxes. I've never healed anyone. I don't speak in unknown languages. I definitely can't understand them. I got a B in GCSE French, but that was about it. My faith, it's okay, but it's not particularly strong. And I don't think I'm like hugely wise. So where, where do I fit into this? If I can't tick one of those boxes, what does that mean for me? Well, I want to be really clear here. This is not, this is not a checklist. It's not one of those sort of personality profiling things. Don't know if you've done those like Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram where you, you know, you're a type A or a type B or a one or a three. Like that's not what is going on here. It's, Paul's not saying you're not a real Christian if you don't tick one of these particular boxes. Paul wrote lots of different letters in the New Testament and across all of them, there are at least four different lists of spiritual gifts. And all of the four lists are different. So he's telling us there are different types of gifts. It's not like a checklist. We're not kind of running down, seeing what, you know, what we qualify for. He talks about serving, teaching, encouraging. He talks about leadership and kindness. He writes about apostleship, evangelism, pastoring. And then later on in this, um, in this letter, he talks about the gift, the spiritual gift of administration. Nowhere in the Bible is there some sort of handy checklist that is God's, you know, tick list for your own spiritual gifts. What Paul is saying that if you are a baptized believer, then you will have some gifts that are like the ones that he lists in this passage. So that's the first thing. Everyone gets a gift. Second thing, the gifts are super. They're not natural. He says in verse 4, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. So this isn't like your kind of average Olympics, yeah? This is not us kind of trying to do the best in our own talents. This is God at work in each of us in a new way. This isn't like, you know, we looked at personality and abilities a couple of weeks ago, if you were here for that, Stuart spoke about it. You know, God does work through our abilities, that's absolutely true, but that isn't what spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts are something else. It's God working in us in a different way. And here's the thing, it's almost always in a way that doesn't fit in with your natural gifting. Think about probably one of the most famous people in the Bible. Um, and do you know anything about the Apostle Peter? I'll tell you a few things about him. He, uh, he tried to walk on water and he starts sinking. He tells Jesus at one point that he's wrong, that Jesus doesn't need to go, die and go to the cross. Peter attacks a man with a sword and he cuts off his ear. So it's building a bit of a picture here, isn't it, about this guy. He panics and he, um, he runs away, deserts Jesus, and he even denies that he knows Jesus. So he's impulsive. He, he speaks without thinking. I mean, to be honest, sometimes he's, he's downright stupid in some of the decisions that he makes. So how on earth do we reconcile the fact that God chooses him to be like, the, he's the most unstable guy almost in the whole of Scripture, and God chooses him 
to be the stable base upon which the church is going to be built. By human logic, it's madness. It would be like you know, me going on dancing on ice and winning or something like that, or strictly and getting to the grand final and winning. Like, it's not going to happen and nobody wants to see it. I said this morning, unless God gives me the spiritual ability of the cha-cha-cha, which I think is highly unlikely, and you can check with my wife, that's never, ever going to happen. But that's the thing, that Peter is unstable. He's impulsive. But God gives him the spiritual gift of stability. You know, Jesus calls him, he renames him the rock. You know, you all thought the rock was that guy from Jumanji and the wrestler dude, but Jesus got there 2,000 years ago. He called Peter the rock upon which he would build his church. And this is a pattern that we see repeated over and over again throughout the Bible. The writer of Hebrews um, says, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. Whose weakness was turned to strength. How about a modern-day example? I think of... uh, I don't know how many people here tonight know Pippa, the pastoral care and seniors worker here at Holy Trinity. You probably won't have seen her much here at this service. She often goes, well, mainly goes to the 11.30 service. But you may know of the amazing work that she's done to spread the gospel um, nationally with older people. And Pippa is honestly the most pastoral person I know. Like, I bump into her in the morning when I come in for work and I just have a really quick 30-second chat with her about the weather and I somehow feel like my soul has been restored just from chatting to her about something as insignificant as that. She's, she does pastoring naturally. She's incredibly pastoral. It's who she is. And yet right now, God is using her in a different way. You know, if you talk to her, she talks about how God is using her as an evangelist, a gift of proclaiming God's good news to the older people in this country. She can't really explain it. It doesn't come naturally to her. You know, she doesn't seek a platform. She's quite quietly spoken. But she knows that God has given her this gift of speaking the good news of Jesus. The difference with all these people isn't that they kind of worked harder or that they suddenly kind of got a new talent for something. They're not functioning from their own gifting. The difference is the gifting of the Holy Spirit. So the chances are that if you are only acting, if you're only functioning out of what you're good at and what you're comfortable in, actually, it's probably not the spiritual gifts that is what's going on. And that's what Paul's emphasizing here. These are gifts of God. They're supernatural. They're not natural. So first point, everybody gets a gift. Second point, the gifts are super. They're not natural. Final point. The gifts are given to be used. Verse 18 of our reading, Paul says, Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. So if you hear one thing tonight, I'd love you to hear this. God has put you, whoever you are, in Holy Trinity Claygate with a gift 
to be used here for a purpose, to bless the church. I wonder how many of you have seen this movie. Anybody seen that, Encanto? Yeah, a few people. It's a wonderful Disney movie. I think it's set in Colombia. Is that right? I, I think it's set in Colombia, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's all about... Um, it's the big Disney musical right now. It's like everywhere. If you haven't seen it, spend five minutes with Holly. She'll sing all the songs to you. Um, she knows them word for word, I think. So go and ask her afterwards. But like all the three of the songs are in the top ten. It's like number one on all the charts. You get it on Disney+. Plus. It's great. I've watched it 400 times already because of my little girls. Um... But it's all about the Madrigal family uh, who are blessed with this sort of magical candle that gives them all special gifts. There's a kind of parallel here, as you might have spotted. One of them can see visions of the future. Another one can change the weather. One of them can cure illnesses with, and injuries just by baking. I mean, that's an incredible gift, isn't it? Like, you get a double blessing. You get to eat a cake and get healed. I'm down for that. Um, and without kind of... Um, spoiling the movie for you they kind of the family run into problems because they get insecure in their giftings and they start looking at the other gifting you know the giftings of the other people and thinking well that person's gift is better than mine their need for control overwhelms them now i have to credit beth sadler here for making this connection she clearly has the spiritual gift of prophetically interpreting disney films i was not blessed with this gift but there, there's a really wonderful parallel with what Paul is saying here in this passage. Each of the Madrigal family, they're so busy looking at the others in their family and thinking that their own gift isn't as good that they forget that they're supposed to be using their gift to make the whole family stronger. That's what Paul is getting at here. It's such a human reaction to compare ourselves against others, to look at other people's gifts. But every spiritual gift is vital for the church. That's what he's saying. It doesn't matter how spectacular, you know, in quotes, or mundane it is, you know, whether it's up the front or at the back, whether it's behind the scenes or whether it's, I don't know, standing at the door, whatever it is, your spiritual gift is needed by the church. It's not good enough to say that we are not good enough. God has put you here in this community with a gift that he wants you to use for his purpose. The point of the spiritual gifts is not to kind of build us up and puff us up and you know, make us look better. The point is to bless the whole church. So if we're afraid to do it, if we're afraid to explore what gifts God has given us, then the whole church is missing out. That's why later on in the New Testament, Paul writes another letter. He's writing to his friend Timothy, and he says this. He says, fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. He's saying this has to be an active thing. He's saying, Timothy, you've got to pursue this. You've got to go after this. Now, you might be wondering how we sort of go about exploring that, because that is a very valid question. As a starter, you know, it might help to get you thinking about it. If, if you're doing the Made for Good course in your small group, there's a questionnaire that's in the booklet that might just get your brain thinking about this. And maybe you could have a, a conversation with your small group leader about it. They might be able to sort of help you 
identify what your spiritual gifts are. But ultimately, this is not about tick boxes. This isn't about questionnaires. It's not about interviews. This is about every day coming and spending time with Jesus. Coming and spending time with God, sitting at his feet, asking him what he wants to do with you, what he wants to do in you, what he wants to do through you. That's what Jesus did. That's the model we have from Jesus in the Gospels. So as we finish, here's some really good news. Ultimately, this is, any of this is possible only because of Jesus. You know, we know that we're not good enough in our own strength anyway. Romans 3 verse 23 tells us that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we also know because of the gospel message that Jesus died and rose again to restore us back into relationship with God, to make us good enough in his strength. And that, friends, is the ultimate spiritual gift. Jesus' blood shed freely on the cross for us to take us back home. Relationship with God, completely unearned, a gift, but also an invitation to participate in God's saving work. That's the point of the spiritual gifts. That's in God's nature. He loves to partner with us. He doesn't just sort of save us and then let us get on with it. He loves to partner with us to call us up into his saving work to build his kingdom. And that's where the link that Richard made to being in the world is. When we manifest the gifts, we are God. We are Jesus, his hands and feet in the world. It's easy just to kind of sit comfortably in what we naturally do, in the stuff that we're passionate about, the stuff we enjoy. It's easy to say that we're not good enough, to look at the spiritual gifts of other people and feel inferior. But here's the truth tonight. If you are here, you have spiritual gifts. They are supernaturally given by God. They don't come from your own strength. And the church needs your gifts. It's not good enough to say that we're not good enough. This isn't the average Olympics. You know, in Jesus, we're all exceptional. We're all made for good. Tonight, will you... Set aside your fears, your insecurities, to pursue his gifts for you. Because the church is a poorer place without them. Amen.